Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. I was thinking recently of preaching and specifically distractions I've had while preaching. I remembered when we were a church plant in Maryland in a movie theater, one time I was in the middle of what I thought was a helpful part of a sermon when all of a sudden the pre-movie music started blaring on the speakers above. And it was so loud, there was no chance of shouting over it. Somebody sprinted out to go find the manager to turn it off. But basically, people just kind of talked amongst themselves for five minutes until we figured it out. Then one time when our church plan had moved into a small warehouse, I got up to preach. And at that moment, there was a middle school girl on about row three who got out her headphones, turned on her music, and started listening to her music. And I knew she was listening to her music because it was so loud, I could hear it. Along with about 30 other people around her, it was so loud, I was sure it was coming through the microphone into the sound system. That was kind of distracting. But I think the most distracted I've ever been in a sermon while preaching was in the first church I ever preached at during Bible college. I'll have to tell you more about it sometime, but the total attendance in this church was six people. And the first time I ever preached there, one third of the congregation fell asleep. <laughs> it was real encouraging. But we get distracted by all kinds of things. I looked up a list uh, online of what People said they get distracted doing while they're supposed to be driving. One woman said while driving, she changed a baby's diaper. <laughs> One said, uh, I eat Fruit Loops. Another paints their fingernails. And this one was either the scariest or the most impressive. One person said, I clip my toenails. <laughs> That's flexibility right there, right? But the number one, the number one distraction we all have, right, is our phones. I mean, you know this, you've seen the data coming in that on the roads, you'd actually rather have a drunk driver on the road next to you than a driver who's on their phone. It's that distracting. And we know this. In fact, in London, they experimented with putting pads around poles so texting people would not walk into them. Another city is experimenting with text walking lanes on the sidewalks. You can just keep your head down and keep going. I wanna talk about distractions today, and specifically, here's the question I wanna ask. What do you do when the blessing of God distracts you from the will of God? What do you do when the blessing of God distracts you from the will of God? Here's what I mean, you prayed for children. You wanted children. And you, you got on your knees to beg God for children and said, God, I think we'd be great parents. You had people fasting for it. You said, God, if you give us children, we will be to those children as Hannah was to Samuel in the Old Testament where we vow to raise those kids to know you. And God answered that prayer. And he gave you the blessing of children. But now they've grown up and they're pretty good athletically and you don't wanna say no to a possible future. And so you say, we're gonna do every gymnastics event there possibly is. If there's a clinic, if there's a competition, our kid's in. And you would still say, God's the most important thing in our family, but your kid just knows if there's church or gymnastics, they know which one wins. And the blessing of God, your children, genuine blessing, 
It's distracting you from the will of God, which is to be involved in God's church. You wanted to go to college. Nobody in your family had ever been to college, so you worked your tail off, you got the grades, you got the financing in place. When you were enrolled, it, it was a historic day in your family tree. But you got that one professor. And she's not just not a Christian, she is anti-Christian. Even though it has nothing to do with the subject matter she's supposed to teach, she undermines the Bible regularly and pretty convincingly to the point that you're not really in church that often. And more importantly, you haven't been in God's word in ages. And the blessing of God, you going to college, is now distracting you from the will of God, which is to dive into his word every day. You wanted to be in ministry. You say, God, I, I like this career, but if I could ever get paid to work for your kingdom, man, I would love to do that. And God answered that prayer. And you work for a nonprofit that is Christ-based and you get to work in the office, but you have the stats and stories of what you're a part of in furthering God's kingdom. And it brings you joy every day. But the reality is it's been a long time since you had a conversation with a lost friend. And if somebody asked you, who's the one that you are praying that you will get to stand in those waters and baptize one day, you would say a name, but you haven't hung out with them in ages. And the blessing of God, working for that Christian nonprofit, is distracting you from the will of God, which is to personally join his mission of seeking and saving the lost. You wanted to be CEO. From the time you were a kid, you recognized I have leadership gifts, other kids just follow me. So you poured into that and you recognized that and you trained for that and you climbed the ladder and you did the hard work to get the title and it finally came with the compensation and the office and all the things. But it even takes more work than you thought. And when the phone rings, you have to answer and the kids and wife know. And when there's email to be done, you, you, you let the wife take care of everything at home. And the wife and kids just know at this point, when work calls, family loses. And the blessing of God leading at work is now distracting you from the will of God, which is leading at home. What do you do when the blessing of God distracts you from the will of God? One of Satan's greatest tricks may be to distract us. Now, we're hardwired for distractions. Neurologist uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman says the longest we are capable of focusing at one time without a break is 90 minutes. That if you are truly concentrating on a task, your brain will, whether you want it to or not, take a break every 90 minutes. Somebody even told me that this is why air traffic controllers, wherever they were, are forced to take a break every 90 minutes. It's because of something called your ultradian rhythm. Your ultradian rhythm means you can't concentrate more than 90 minutes. In fact, when I was researching distraction, I found this great BuzzFeed article called 20 Calming Websites to Distract You. I thought, well, I need calming. So I went down the rabbit hole, and after I designed my own galaxy, I then played the falling sand game and proceeded to look at live feeds of eagles, then the ocean, then African wildlife, and then I got back to work on my sermon. <laughs> but here's the thing. God knows we get distracted. God knows our blessings can distract us, and God warned us about this very thing. 3,500 years ago, before the Israelites are set to enter the promised land, God warns them about this. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. So obey 
God speaking to his people, the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. There's that fear we talked about last time I preached. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. It's got flowing streams, pools of water, fountains, springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It's land of wheat and barley, grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey. It's, it's rich, it's bountiful, it's got everything you need. It goes on, it's a land where food is plentiful, nothing is lacking. When you've eaten your fill, when you've been blessed, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that's the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands. For when you've become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large, and when your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Don't become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. Don't forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. He fed you with manna in the wilderness. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. So remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. But I assure you of this, and I can just picture Moses with everybody gathered. If you ever forget the Lord your God, you will certainly be destroyed. So God, before he leads his people into the promised land, into this land flowing with milk and honey, he warns them. He says, I'm gonna bless you like crazy. Don't let it take you away from me. Don't think you did it for yourself. Don't become arrogant. If you do, it'll all fall apart. So I ask again, how do you keep from letting the blessing of God distract you from the will of God? It is a common theme in scripture. It's the reason for the famous prayer in Proverbs 30. Oh God, I beg you, don't give me poverty or riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm poor, I may steal and insult your holy name. God, give me just what I need. Or in the words of the prayer, God, give me today my daily bread. So how do you keep from letting the blessing of God distract you from the will of God. That's what we're gonna study today. We're in the series where we're looking at the life of Joseph and not New Testament Joseph, not Jesus' dad Joseph, but Old Testament Joseph in the book of Genesis. If you remember, he is one of 12 brothers. His dad plays favorites towards Joseph, is very open about it. In addition to that, Joseph has two dreams that seem to indicate his family's gonna bow down to him one day, so he thinks it's a good idea to tell his family about that. The brothers grow to hate him, they sell him into slavery, and that's where we're gonna pick up in today's scripture. Look at Genesis chapter 39, we'll start in verse one. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, meaning the slave traders that his brothers sold him to, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Now this word officer, in the original Hebrew language we translate this from, this word is eunuch. And we don't know from the context if he was literally a eunuch or that was just kind of a term they used for anyone who served the king, who served the Pharaoh, 
if he is a eunuch, it's an interesting thought as how it may connect to next week's scripture involving Potiphar's wife and Joseph. But it says Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, and that simply means he was in charge of Pharaoh's secret service. The Lord was with Joseph. He succeeded in everything he's, he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, obviously. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly. His crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was experiencing the blessing of God. Now he was a slave, but the nature of that was different than what you would immediately think of when you hear the word slave. It would be more akin to a modern relationship between an employer and an employee. Regardless, everything he touches goes well. He gets promoted, he has influence, he has authority. Now we don't know exactly how long Joseph is with Potiphar. We know he was sold as a slave at age 17. He's with Potiphar and, and next week we'll see in, in this series, he's thrown in prison. And at age 30, he goes into service with Pharaoh. So in those 13 years, some portion of that is with Potiphar. The ESV translation verse five says, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. And when you think of going from slave to success, it would have been really easy for Joseph to think, maybe this is the destination. Maybe this is what God had for me. Maybe I just need to settle down, get content because God's with me, I'm good. If Joseph had done that, he would have missed the bigger thing that God had for him in his future. Blessings can become distractions. And if we're not careful, we can miss the bigger thing that God has for us. So looking at Joseph's story, there are a few ways blessings can become distractions. One is when they feel spiritual. Look again at verse two. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph had God with him. This is obviously a blessing. There are only six people in all of scripture about whom it is said the Lord was with this person. And Joseph is the only person about whom this is said more than once. It's kind of a big deal. It would have been tempting for Joseph to think, you know, since God's with me, this must be the blessing that he had for me. Listen carefully. It is tempting for something that feels spiritual to actually distract you from the will of God. This is what happens in 1 Samuel 4. The Israelites are going to battle against their enemy, the Philistines, they lose. When they get home, they put their heads together and say, you know, the reason we lost is God wasn't with us. So let's take the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence dwells there, we'll carry that into battle, and since God's presence is with us, then we'll defeat our enemies. So that's what they do. They get the Ark, they carry it into battle, they go to war again, and they lose again. 
Because although they had the token of God's presence, they weren't actually humbled to him in their hearts. It would kind of be like if you said, my marriage is in trouble, so I need to attend church so my marriage will get better. Ain't gonna work. Attending church in a vacuum will not fix your marriage. Fixing your marriage will happen when you do the hard work of humbling yourself and letting God's grace and truth seep into the dark parts of your soul so you can begin to treat your spouse differently and have a life of service towards them regardless if they change or not. Attending church will help in that process, but attending church alone is not gonna fix your marriage. Blessings can distract us when they feel spiritual. Look again at the story. This pleased Potiphar. So he made him his personal attendant. He put him in charge of everything. The second way I see that blessings can become distractions is when they feed our ego. See, if I'm Joseph at this point in the story, I'm thinking, finally, somebody recognizes my leadership talent for what it is. This is how my brother should have treated me the whole time. And when a blessing of God feeds our ego, it can become a distraction. It's when you get a raise at work. It's when you're part of a dynamic growing church. It's when you're born with natural beauty. Those are blessings of God. But if you're not careful, they'll distract you from the will of God. And last thing, the blessing of God will distract us when it fuels disbelief. It would have been tempting, I think, for Joseph to go down this train of thought. Well, I'm successful and God's with me. Therefore, I must have misinterpreted those dreams God gave me so long ago. I thought those were gonna be about my family. I guess this is it. I guess it just meant I was gonna have influence in Egypt. It's tempting for us when we experience the blessing of God to think, well, the promises of God must not mean what I thought they meant. For example, when you're blessed by God with a nice house. You move in and you think, well, you know, now that I have a nice house, I need nice furniture. Now that I have nice furniture, I need nice decorations and you need to spend a little bit more money. And it's tempting to think, you know, all those convictions I used to have about being generous to God's kingdom, maybe I didn't need to have those convictions. Or God blesses you with a good friend and your friendship grows and it's a place where you can share stuff with each other. So one time they open up and say, you know, I, I'm experiencing some gender confusion it's tempting for you in that moment to question the promises of God and say, you know, does God really, is he really clear about male and female stuff? You get a girlfriend and it goes well. You think, man, this is so great. But as that relationship pro uh, progresses, it's tempting to think, you know, maybe all those high school ministers, what they said about, about purity all those years in HSM, maybe that's not really true. Maybe that's just their interpretation. Sometimes blessings of God Weird as it sounds, can fuel disbelief. But there's a trait that Joseph has that combats this. I wanna show you this verse. Potiphar realized that the Lord was with Joseph. Now, in this verse, I think we see the key to how Joseph answers this question we're trying to answer today. And I could be wrong on how I'm interpreting the Bible here. I wanna let you know that what I'm going to present you isn't explicit, so study God's word for yourself and tell me if I'm wrong. But notice this. The word for God here, it's Lord. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's specific to the God of the Hebrew people, the God of the Jews, okay? Now, it's not that what, what they could have talked about is Elohim, the generic word for God, 
like just God or God's whatever, Elohim. No, Yahweh is the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Jewish people. Pharaoh, excuse me, Potiphar is Egyptian. Potiphar worships all those Egyptian gods that we learned about in high school. How does Potiphar know that the Hebrew God is the one who's with Joseph? I could be wrong, but I think the only way this verse can be true is if Joseph tells him. I think the only way this verse can be true is if Potiphar compliments Joseph and says, Joseph, you're really great administratively. And Joseph says, well, it's actually Yahweh. I think the only way this can be true is if Potiphar talks to Joseph about his leadership skills and he says, well, it's actually Yahweh. Or Potiphar says, Joseph, how are you so successful? You're just so bright. And Joseph says, listen, it's just Yahweh. I think the only way this is true is if Joseph has the humility that every time Potiphar points the finger at Joseph, Joseph points it to God. And not just God generically, but his God. In fact, this word with over here can be translated as in or with or beside, which is really indicative of how God was with Joseph. He was in Joseph. He was with Joseph. He was beside Joseph. He made everything work for good. And then every time Potiphar talks about it, Joseph is sure to say, yeah, it's Yahweh. It's the God we just sang about. So it's Joseph's humility that takes a spotlight off of himself. And I love that. You know, arrogance often looks good in the short term. It can look pretty cool. Like when you see the pre-fight weigh in and there's a trash talking and sometimes they'll even start to fight and they're holding them back. You're like, that, 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 looks, that looks pretty cool. But then it doesn't age so well when they're tapping out when the actually fight, actual fight happens. I love watching those videos on YouTube of people who celebrate too early. I brought one, watch this. Take my word for it, there's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd, he wants the crowd to cheer his performance, and at the end he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can, and you know, you see his face, and you know, no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never. You want to laugh at that, but you feel bad, but then it's funny. <laughs> Humility is the difference between someone who's blessed and it ruins and someone who's blessed and it strengthens. Psychologists have actually identified part of our sin nature that fights against humility. What they call it is illusory superiority. And it's a trait we all have that we think our good traits are better than they really are and others' bad traits are worse than they really are. So for example, they surveyed college professors and said, how many of you rate yourself in the top 25%? And the number of people who said I am was 68%. They asked MBA students, how many of you are above average? And the number who raised their hand was 87%. It's even why 90% of restaurants fail in the first year. It's illusory superiority. They overestimate how good they are and underestimate how good everyone else is. And I think the reason Joseph remained humble is he knew there was a mission that he hadn't fulfilled yet. He knew there was dreams that God had put in him and he said, God put me here for this purpose and I will not settle until that thing comes to pass. 
And I want to talk specifically to those of you who are Joseph's age. Remember, Joseph was somewhere under 30 years old. So those of you in your 20s, maybe even middle and high school, you will have to fight illusory superiority making you arrogant in time. Because when you are young, like Joseph, people often overlook you. And you have to use that, young people, as an opportunity to grow in your humility. So when there's a big planning meeting at work and you're the new person and you know you could contribute because even though you're new, you've seen things that they don't even notice anymore, but they don't even let you have a voice. You got to choose humility. When you want to accomplish something great and you believe God's created you to have good influence, but it's just not there yet. And you're wondering, do I create a shortcut? What do I do? How do I get to the place where I can actually have the voice that I believe God wants me to have? Choose humility. When you know you're right and your mom's wrong, <laughs> choose humility and fight your sin nature. So how do we do that practically? What can we do to have the humility that makes sure the blessing of God doesn't distract us from the will of God? I think Deuteronomy 8 that we read earlier shows us. Look back at, at a handful of these scriptures. Verse 11 says, in your plenty, don't forget the Lord your God. Verse 14, don't become proud and forget the Lord. Verse 15, don't forget that he led you through the wilderness. Verse 18, remember the Lord your God. God says, before I bless you, I have to warn you that this blessing doesn't distract you. And the way God says that it won't distract you is this. Remember. Remember what God did. Remember who blessed you. Remember how God was faithful to you in the past. And this is a huge theme through all the scriptures. One time, some friends and I tried to read the Bible, the entire Bible through in 90 days. And we didn't make it. <laughs> I think it took us about 110, something like that. But when you read the Bible that quickly and in that big of chunks, you don't notice minute details. Instead, you just kind of get the big picture story. And so when you read Genesis, you see that God calls Abraham and says, I'm gonna bless you. And in turn, I'm gonna bless all nations through you. Then you get to his descendants in Exodus and Moses leads them out of the promise, out of slavery in Egypt to the edge of the promise. And you're thinking, wow, great story. The problem is it begins to repeat itself. And so in Deuteronomy, you read about Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery to the cusp of the promised land. And in Joshua, you read about Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery to the edge of the promised land. And then Samuel talks about it. And the Psalms talk about it over and over and over and over. And by the time you get to the prophets, you're thinking, can we just get a new story already? But if you notice the context, you notice something powerful. Because in the scriptures... When people remember how God was faithful to them in the past, they are faithful to God in the present. And when they forget how God was faithful to them in the past, they are unfaithful to him in the present. In fact, in a time of great unfaithfulness, they do this temple rehab project. They discover a dusty scroll. They bring it to the king, Josiah, and unroll it. When they look at it, they say, this is the Bible. We'd heard of this. We'd never actually seen it before. God himself says, if you don't want the blessing of God to distract you from the will of God, do not forget. And as you scan the scriptures, you realize, oh, God is always giving his people reminders. So in Exodus 20, 
He says, hey, from here on out, whenever you see me do something, people of Israel, build a little altar there to remind yourselves. And in that Ark of the Covenant we mentioned, there was three things they carried. It was Aaron's staff, it was a jar of manna, it was the stone tablets that the law was written on, all three different reminders. Jesus himself, the day, the night, he's gonna get arrested to be illegally put on trial and then executed. He gathers his 12 apostles and he says, hey, listen, listen, I want you to do something to remember me. Eat bread and drink wine and do it to remember this. Over and over, God says, remember. So I wanna give you a suggestion. It has a little cheap box here. It's just a little... Uh, chest that someone close to us gave us. We, we, they gave us instructions with this. We keep this um, on the dresser in our bedroom and we call it our God box. And we put in here things that are mementos of how we believe God has acted in special ways in our lives. So I'm gonna show you a few of these things. One thing I'll show you is the little tiny bracelet uh, from the hospital that was on our oldest kid, our daughter, when she was born. Um, after Thursday night, my youngest was in here and said, hey, Dad, how come you don't have me in that bracelet thing? I said, because I love your sister more than you. And I didn't say that, I promise I didn't. <laughs> just when she obeys better. Anyway, uh, but this was a big deal, not just, not just because it was a blessing to have a child, but because we had struggled to have children. And my wife experienced two miscarriages along the way. And those are painful for anybody, but when you don't have any kids yet, it's filled with thoughts of, God, are we ever gonna be able to do this? And we hurt and cried about that, and we prayed diligently for this to happen. So when this day came, I mean, that, that, that was a big blessing of God. I'll show you another one that <laughs> My wife didn't like that I did this back in the day, but when we were on our debt, uh, Dave Ramsey debt snowball to get out of debt, I hung a chart of all the debt we had on our bathroom mirror. <laughs> and we would color in a box every $200 we paid off and write the date and how much it was. And it was annoying to brush your teeth every day staring at this thing but now we keep it because it's a reminder that aside from our mortgage, we're debt-free, and this happened because of a bunch of blessings of God. He took care of us. A couple other things we have in here. We have our, uh, we have our program from our wedding. Obviously, you wanna remember that. It's a great day. Um, Another thing I have is, I mean, we just had tons and tons of unique notes that came at the right time. There was three notes in particular that came from a pastor I know, and they had come over probably the course of 15 or 20 years, and they always seemed to come at just the right moment when I needed encouragement. And the pastor who sent those to me was a guy named Dave Stone, and I kept those in our God box. One thing that made me laugh, I don't even know why I put this in here several years ago, was I kept a bib from my first marathon. I guess I was thankful God didn't let me die that day. <laughs> I have a bracelet that belongs to my wife, and I know you probably can't see it, but hanging from it is a capital T to represent the word truth, big truth. And... One of her best friends gave this to her because a couple years ago, we went through 
the hardest year of our marriage. And it's not the right time to tell you that story, but we felt all the emotions. And I had to do some work on me. My wife had to do some work on her. We had to do a lot of work together. And God got us through it. And we're in a really healthy place today. And I'd kind of rather this not be in the God box. I don't really like remembering that. But the, but the, reason, the reason we got to remember is because God was faithful. And if he wasn't faithful, I don't know where we would be today. I have, um, I printed out a series of text messages that I got from Kyle on Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. He said, hey, my brother, my apologies for the informal nature of this and just sending a text. Want to float an idea by you. And in the course of a really long text message, he said, I want you to come home and work for me at Southeast. And this was the beginning of, of God doing a unique work to bring us home. Another thing that was in here was an invitation to a dinner that our old church plant did during a capital campaign to raise, I think it was a couple million dollars. And I remember during this campaign that we felt God was asking us to give on top of our normal giving an amount that just gave us a pit in our stomach. And we said, what, God, what, how, why? And so we obeyed. But as I look back, I can tell you names of people who were baptized as a result of this. I can't really remember going without anything I needed during that time, because God was faithful. Let me ask you, let me ask you, what would be in your God box? I think it'd be kind of cool if there was just a big rush this week on Hobby Lobby <laughs> for us to get little containers like this. I, I would start one of these today. I mean, it could be a shoe box, but I would even say, if you're in that crowd I talked to a moment ago of teenager or somebody in your 20s, I think it's especially important for you to have something like this because God is doing things in your life right now that you will forget 20 years from now. And I am no prophet but I know people and I think you will have a crisis of faith at some point. And when that happens, it will be important for you to remember. I know some of you are thinking, Carl, right now for us, the pain's so real, I can't think about the good things. Well, let me read to you Psalm 77. It starts pretty intense. I cry out to God. I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed, longing for his help. God, you don't let me sleep. I'm too stressed to even pray. I think of the good old days when my nights were actually filled with joyful songs. Has God rejected me forever? Will he never be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Should I give up? Has God forgotten grace? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? So I said, this is my faith. The most high 
has turned his hand against me. But here it is, here it is. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. Come on. If you are in a season of doubt, if the pain is overwhelming, if your walk with Christ is just, eh, remember. If you remember how God has been faithful to you, you will be faithful to him. Let me show you one more thing. When we moved here, I was unpacking all the boxes and I found something that kept stored for a long time. It's a, I guess you'd call it a plaque. And it says, your baptism has my name on it. And it was given to me on June 7th, 1987 by Southeast Christian Church. When I got in a pool of water with a guy named Bob Russell and I said, Jesus is my Christ and he is my savior. And I drew a line in the sand. I drew a line in the sand to say, Jesus, I'm in. And I know there's hills and I know there's valleys. And I know there's passion and I know sometimes there's not. And God, I'm, I may be unfaithful, but I know you will be faithful to me. So God, here I am, take my everything. Do you have a day like that you can remember? Because if you don't, we wanna give it to you. We want you to repent, be baptized, to be saved calling on the name of the Lord. Because although you are faithless, he will remain faithful. He died on the cross so you could be forgiven. He rose from the grave so you could trust him. And he gave you his church so you would never be alone. Will you remember how God has been faithful so that as he continues to bless you, you will not get distracted from what lies ahead. Let's be a church that remembers. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. God, we need you for all the things. We need you for direction and wisdom. We need you for purpose. We need you for truth. We need you for grace. So we throw ourselves at your feet and say, we are nothing, you are everything, Jesus, help. Thank you for loving us before we were lovable. Thank you for making us lovable. And thank you for being faithful. It is in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.